1: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airways, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, and with me is a guy who in the words of Magic Johnson, lights up the sky like a firework on the 4th of July, my co-host. Hey
2: everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airways. On this week's episode, we're going to continue with keeping you up to date on the sci-fi summer as Dan and I review Warehouse 13, Falling Skies, and continue. Then, as expected, we're going to wrap this episode up with our airwaves rundown section featuring Dan and my thoughts on Defiance, Woo's thoughts on the series finale of the Goodwin games, and my thoughts on Under the Dome. But there will not be a burn notice section this week due to the 4th of July holiday.
1: But before we get into all the stuff that we are covering today, we've got everyone's favorite section News with Nico, with plenty of TV news for you guys to get excited about.
2: Falling Skies renewed for Season 4 by TNT. TNT has ordered a fourth season of Falling Skies to premiere in the summer of 2014. The network has picked up the usual 10 new episodes in total for season four. The series is produced by DreamWorks Television and executive producer Steven Spielberg. Falling Skies is averaging 5.8 million viewers in live plus seven delivery and ranks as Basic Cable's number one scripted series with adults 18 to 49 and adults 25 to 54 for the summer to date. So good news.
1: Very good news. Excited about that. Hopefully their story won't get too weird. That will be excited for a season four.
2: I think it'll be okay.
1: Yeah, me too.
2: M. Night Shyamalan talks Fox's Wayward Pines and what brought him to television. M. Night Shyamalan will be debuting his first TV project next year, executive producing and directing the pilot for Fox's new Wayward Pines. Wayward Pines is one of several new Fox projects intended as a limited run series, which we used to call miniseries, with a beginning, middle, and end delivered over the course of several episodes rather than multiple seasons. Based on the book of the same name, Wayward Pines will star Matt Dillon as a Secret Service agent who comes to a small town to investigate the disappearance of two federal agents. IGN interviewed Shyamalan, and the entire interview can be read at the link in the ACC feed.
1: God, I would expect a twist to occur throughout this TV series.
2: Well, since it's based on a book, he's going to have to follow that more than his own screenwriting. And that's a good thing, yes. because <laughs> the last couple things he's done have not been as great as some of the early stuff.
1: And I'm even leery of this show, so yikes.
2: Sherlock is going to Comic-Con. BBC's cult hit show is hopping across the pond to San Diego later this month. If Irene Adler is to be believed, Brainy is the new sexy, which is why BBC's Sherlock is going to San Diego Comic-Con for the first time ever. Nice. cult hit series will be hosting a panel at the fan convention in two weeks steven Moffat, co-creator and executive producer and writer mark gratis co-creator executive producer and writer and sue virtue a producer will all be in attendance at the panel stars benedict cumberbatch and martin freeman are reportedly sitting this one out due to their respective big screen commitments But there will be surprises in store. Naturally, fans will have many questions for the panelists, not the least of which being how Sherlock survived his rooftop plummet at the end of last season. No doubt Moffat, Gratis, and Virtue will be offering some hints on what's to come in the highly anticipated third season.
1: That's awesome that Stephen Moffat is going to Comic-Con.
2: Mulder joins X-Files at Comic-Con. Awesome. Mulder is coming to Comic-Con, confirmed. David Duchovny has officially joined the X-Files 20th Anniversary Reunion Panel at the annual San Diego-based Fan Weekend, according to SDCC blog. The commemorative event, which takes place Thursday, July 18th, will also feature Gillian Anderson and the series creator Chris Carter, among others, as we mentioned last week.
1: Very nice, very nice. How you wish you could make it to that one, Nico.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, Thursday is not one of the days I'll be able to attend because I still have to work. (laughs) Bummer. Veronica Mars movie hits comic-con 2013 This is exciting Veronica Mars is leaving Neptune and heading to San Diego creator Rob Thomas Kristen Bell and the cast of the beloved WB series are officially set to appear at San Diego comic-con 2013 to promote the much buzzed about kickstarter film in an email to kickstarter backers the film's associate producer Ivan confirmed that Veronica Mars will have not one but two events going down on Friday July 19th both of which feature exclusive footage from the film, which is currently filming nice. in Los Angeles. We'd love to be there longer and meet more of you, but we'll be shooting late the night before, Ivan explains, and as soon as we're done, we'll turn around and come back to LA for our final day of production. Set to appear on the official Comic Con panel are Thomas, Bell, Enrico Colatoni, Ryan Hansen, Jason Doring, Tina Majarno, Kristen Ritter, Chris Lowell, percy daggs the third and francis capra most of the cast aside from bell as the email notes she just gave birth a few months ago you heard about that right anyway we need to make her get some rest all those people will be doing a signing at the warner brothers booth after the panel so really cool stuff
1: yeah i've Looking at the the cast they you listed, I recognize all of them from the show. Kristen Ritter, who did she play? That's the name I don't recognize.
2: Uh, do you remember the the B in Apartment Twenty Three? Yes. She was the dark-haired star of that show. Okay. I don't remember what she played on this show either. I, I recognized her name immediately, but I couldn't pick her out. And I'm wondering if she was in the, one of the later seasons, you know, in the college year.
1: I don't remember her being there. Okay. Who was there in the college year that I know for a fact was in there? It, she's currently on Dallas right now as one of the girlfriends. Okay. She was the cheerleader from Dodgeball. Right. Yeah, I, I remember her being on for Mars in season three. As one of Logan's love interests. Okay. Um, but I do not recognize Kristen Ritter being and Brackenmars. At least I don't remember. I'm going yeah. back and watching it, so maybe I'll catch it. Then. Okay. Yeah.
2: Grayson Earth One Episode One Released to drum up Support for series This is interesting Grayson Earth One Season One Is a non-profit Six episode season Dedicated to Exploring the origin Story of the DC Character known as Nightwing But with a twist The twist being that Richard Grayson has Never had the good Fortune of being Adopted as a child By Bruce Wayne Thus never becoming The boy wonder Instead we have a Richard Grayson That had to fend For himself on the Unforgiving streets of Gotham and even worse The streets of Bloodhade. A character that has to overcome years of dog-eat-dog mentality to become a selfless and kind individual, to ultimately fulfill his destiny and become a hero. Of course, changing that single event within Richard Grayson's life sends a ripple across the entire DC universe. It changes the history of characters such as Bruce Wayne, Barbara Gordon, Helena, Bertinelli, and their adversaries too. Check out the amazing first episode well worth a viewing in the link in the ACC feed and follow the link in the description from the YouTube channel to help support this project on their Indiegogo page.
1: Yeah, believe it or not, these productions are actually really well done. There's also a Batgirl one out there with Stephanie Brown as Batgirl that Andy showed me, which was very impressive too. So this is a big market right now of comic book fans trying to bring their favorite stories or stories they've come up with in the case of this one to life. Okay, it seems very interesting. Okay, maybe something Netflix should look into with some of their original programming but we'll see.
2: I think with the big companies it's going to be difficult with licensing issues yeah. because you ha- you would have to license those whereas this is just enough of a independent and non-profit organization that it, was, it would be okay. I agree that some of these Netflix, Amazons, all these different things could potentially do it it's just going to be a licensing nightmare and probably yeah. make it not worth it for them Quite. but otherwise it's a good idea
1: the other thing is i mean i think dc should approach these people you know and maybe work something out with them i don't know kind of know if that's possible but that would be interesting
2: well let's be honest there should be a big screen real feature yeah. with nightwing
1: <laughs> which is a headache to try to figure out the logistics of how all that would work yeah and how you'd get there but yes i agree with you
2: and that's the news with Nico for this week.
1: All right. And with that, we're going to get into discussing an episode of Warehouse 13 that's moving the overarching story forward. So that's a great thing. Can also brought in an actor that we really enjoyed because the big bad that's great. Can he may shape up to be one of the best big bads Warehouse has had. So let's talk about the Warehouse 13 episode all the time in the world.
2: After bronzing Claudia, Paracelsus escapes with the only artifact that can cure her, and the team has to hunt him down before it's too late. Meanwhile, Claudia's link to Warehouse 13 endangers the building and Miss Frederick.
1: This week's episode of Warehouse 13 allowed us to get to know Season 4's Big Bad, whose name we discovered is pronounced Paracelsus. This villain, played by the Buffy the Vampire Slayer alum, Anthony Stewart Head, was a bit of a mixture between Giles, the character he played, God Buffy, back in his Ripper days, with some Angelus thrown in. Because what made him evil was turning his brother, who was revealed to be Bennett Sutton, and his family immortal against their will through kidnapping. Obviously, this guy has some serious issues. Go with that, Nico, why don't you share your thoughts on Percelcius as a Warehouse 13 villain, along with your observations regarding the heinous act he performed on his own family in the name of science.
2: Paracelsus is a great warehouse villain because he was at one time a warehouse member and former caretaker of the warehouse that was corrupted by the power of the artifacts and much like McPherson in the first season – was corrupted by the warehouse and went from being a good guy to a villain. The thing that made Parasasus a great supervillain was that he was a brilliant scientist, and thus rather than only testing his immortality brew on his brother Sutton, he had to account for all the variables and kidnap Sutton's family and tested the brew on all of them to know that it would work on different ages and sexes. Plus, Anthony Stewart Head is amazing, and he doesn't disappoint here, as he is brilliant as the warehouse caretaker turned mad scientist, Paracelsus. It was really, really yes. great acting and really well done, and that's why he's going to be one of the best villains of the series.
1: Yeah, and there's more of him to come next week, so that's great stuff to look forward to, and great pickup for Warehouse getting Anthony Stewart Head. Something that's going to get people really excited and really get people fired up about the show. And at the same time, it might opinion Bennett's son and Charlotte and Nick being forced to become immortal went a long way in resolving my annoyance towards the Nick character that I had last week because I felt sorry for the kid about what was done to him especially in the flashback where he had to watch his first love grow old and then end up die end up dying god this is a theme that's been used as a conflict throughout many different forms of literature because I thought warehouse 13 handled it really well in addition, I think some good performances are going to keep being brought out of the Nick character because he interacts with great actors like Allison Scaggaloni through becoming a love interest for Claudia. James Marster, as his wayward father, is probably going to work on reconnecting with Nick following his mother's death. Speaking of which, wow was it cruel to compare Celsius to Cure Bennett's son and his family because they turn right back around to shoot and kill Charlotte. Even though this was horrible, I thought it was necessary for the story, because we got an understanding of just how big of a threat Percelsius is to the world, Can set the wheels in motion for Son to seek out redemption by reconnecting with his son, while being challenged by thoughts of revenge. Which is something that we all know Marsters has no trouble of portraying, based on what he did with his character of Spike during the later seasons of Buffy. Remember folks, Warehouse 13 is written by people who understand, quote, we sci-fi slash fantasy fans, what. And right now, they are playing to the strengths of why we loved Anthony Stewart Head and James Marsters, got a staple of fantasy television, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So Nico, do you feel that Warehouse 13 is doing a good job of playing to the strengths of Anthony Stewart and James Marsters with their appearances on this show? Can also, in going back to the story, did you think that Charlotte's death was warranted? And did the Nick character become less annoying for you in this episode after witnessing all the hardship he has gone through, which now includes losing his mother?
2: I do think that this episode played to Anthony Stewart's head strengths, as I mentioned before, but I felt like it did not really for James Marsters. The part about him being a con man and an uncommon thief was a waste of time and quite boring overall. I felt it could have been better used to reintroduce us to the interesting character we first met in the mid-season premiere, but I felt like this con artist or this con man he was trying to be was just a waste of time and actually slightly boring.
1: I thought he was much better in the mid-season premiere. Yeah. And again, it might have been they pulled back on his character a little bit to play up and introduce celsius character.
2: Yep. As for Charlotte's death, I think it will work better going forward, but I think it felt rushed and was so predictable that I did not really get anything out of it in the moment. But as I just said, I think her death will pay dividends in the season finale this upcoming week and will make for a better story going forward than if she had survived. So, yeah, I thought that was a good move overall. I think it just felt really rushed. And also, you knew she was going to die. Yes. Yeah it wasn't going to be Marster's character and it wasn't going to be Nick because he still needs to have his love story or whatever for the reason for the whole becoming mortal again. So she's the only one left and you knew one of them had to die as soon as they became mortal. That's just the way stories Mm -hmm. like this go. So uh, predictable and rush doesn't make for a good combination.
1: Right. And and the other thing is you had to show, I guess what Per Celsius was capable of and how far he was willing to go. to Accomplish what he wanted.
2: Great, great point, Dan, because you did need to show that and, And this was the perfect way of doing it because he just essentially killed his sister-in-law for no good reason (laughs) other than to punish his brother. Likewise, much as we predicted last week, the Nick character was better in this week's episode because he was no longer that farce of a character he was last week and could actually be a character, a real character. Not a character pretending to be another character. I'm not sure if it's that the character is better now. The surrounding cast has had, he has to work with is better now, or if it could be a combination of the two, probably. But whatever it is, the character does seem less annoying and teen angsty this week.
1: Yes, they must have watched Angel season four <laughs> to know how to fix that. Anyway. A large development that I thought came out of Charlotte's death, as well as what we've just said, was how it helped Pete convince Micah to finally go through with her cancer treatment so he won't regret all the years that he doesn't have without her. And I thought that this dedication by Pete to help Micah fight her cancer will be what brings them together and the romance that we've been wanting. Although I think my theories about Micah wanting to use an artifact or some sort of magic to cure herself is off the table, there is a possibility that Percelcius may try to tempt her with with his immortality formula but I think Pete and Micah are going to defeat the challenge of cancer in a realistic way just like any of us would and I'm thinking that we are probably going to start off season five maybe like three months into our treatments. God, the majority of the season is going to be about the warehouse family trying to stand strong in the face of cancer trying to claim one of their own guys probably some other mystical threat takes place also, if next week is the finale, which I'm pretty sure it is, I'm going to say expect the one-on-one scene that Nika wanted to see between Micah and Abigail, where I think Abigail's background, because a psychiatrist, is going to help Micah with telling the rest of the warehouse team her prognosis. Again, I know this episode revealed Abigail as the keeper, but even though her position was kept secret by the regents, I think her background as a psychiatrist still remains intact, along with her conflict of failing to save a patient. And that leads me to a two-part question for you, Nico. First, do you think Pete being there for Micah every step of the way, could her cancer treatment, will bring them together in a romance? What do you think about my predictions for that story's continuation? Second, what do you think of the revelation that Abigail is the keeper of the warehouses history. Do you think this gates her backstory? Or are you with me on the thought that it's still going to remain intact?
2: Dan, the theory that Pete and Michael will go through the cancer treatments together and he will be there every step of the way with her is the theory that I put forth last week. So I absolutely think that is what brings them together in the end. But I think what will really do it is that the treatments will not work right away, and she will appear to be going downhill fast in this week's episode. And that is where they will be tempted to use an artifact, like you mentioned, but ultimately they will not. I think that we will go into hiatus with the cliffhanger about Micah and her condition. I think they will actually wrap up the Paracelsus story arc this season, but we'll get into that in a moment when we discuss that. As for the revelation about Abigail and her true purpose in the warehouse, no, I do not think. I think that it invalidates her previous backstory because I think everything she told the warehouse team up to this point was true. She just left out the part about being the warehouse's secret keeper. Her life and everything she told them was from her life as her cover, which is in this case was her life and chosen profession. Yes, she was the secret keeper, but ultimately to keep her secret from the world, she had to live her life as a normal person, and her life was also her cover. So yeah, Dan, her backstory is still intact, and I think everything's going to remain that way.
1: Okay, yeah, I agree with you. And um about the stuff with Micah. I don't know if this is true or not I don't know if we want to confirm it on the podcast because it might be spoilerish I'm hearing a rumor that Joanne Kelly who plays Micah is going to be off the show after next week's episode
2: There was the same rumor going forward the last time when we thought something happened to Micah
1: Okay, so that could be bogus
2: It most likely is bogus I don't know any inside information so I can't confirm or deny it So okay. yeah.
1: Well, if we see something we'll let you guys know I mean, after the finale airs, but I I don't think that's going to be the case. That would be silly. Especially with them only having, what, because then it's six episodes next season? Just to wrap yeah. it up? Okay. Yep. So I, I don't know why she wouldn't finish. So anyway, I guess my theory was completely off on them. Maybe using an artifact to cure... Micah. But I was onto something with Mrs. Frederick being connected to this immortality plotline. Because some really weird stuff started with her as the central nervous system of the warehouse starts unraveling due to there now being three caretakers now I guess in existence or active. Which is... Mrs. Frederick, Claudia, and Percelsius, who was revealed to be the caretaker of Warehouse 9. On that note, I've foreseen this season of Warehouse 13, maybe ending with Mrs. Frederick having to sacrifice herself in order to keep Claudia, God the future caretaker alive, so she can defeat Percelsius somehow. Although, I don't know if this theory holds up completely, because I think if Mrs. Frederick dies, Warehouse 13 dies, leading to Claudia opening up Warehouse 14, which I think is something that cannot happen until the final episode. Probably the final moments of the final episode. But maybe that means Paracelsus is going to continue on into season five, since that season's going to be so short. So Nico, what's your thought on this theory?
2: As I said a moment ago, Dan, I think that Claudia and the crew will ultimately stop Paracelsus in this finale episode next week, but I also think that Mrs. Frederick may die. But I'm not sure if that means that Claudia will become caretaker of Warehouse 14, and that will be what season five is all about and the change to warehouse 14. I tend to agree that that seems more like a series finale sort of thing, but also could see them using it to intensify the final season. Not sure what way they will go, but they could just as easily heal Mrs. Frederick when they defeat Paracelsus and he is no longer fighting her for control of warehouse 13. Essentially, I guess we'll just have to wait and see next week because we really just don't know. I could see it going either way.
1: Warehouse 13 has this tendency to kill characters, and then they don't really kill them. Exactly. Because the only person who's remained dead is Lena. hmm And that's because her character was kind of useless. So, uh, besides that, everyone else has come back somehow. So, we'll see. Agreed. And I think that sums it up for Warehouse. I think because this felt like a part one of a two-part episode, that... We'll have a lot more to s- discuss next week. We'll have for sure things instead of us playing this guessing game at this point. So uh, here's to a good finale. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a good watch because really the early parts of this half season could be kind of slow, but they picked it up here. Kind of excited about the show again. And it's thanks to some great actor choices. So with that, let's move on to discussing Falling Skies with an episode that had a really intense title. Be silent and come out.
2: Hal at last casts light on his internal struggle. Elsewhere, Lords works on a potential dangerous new medical procedure and a group departs on a search and rescue mission leading to a change in leadership.
1: With today's episode of Falling Skies, I want to say I really liked how saving Hell from the mind-controlling bug inside of him was a family affair, meaning that it included all of the Mason family and Maggie to save Hell. And I really liked it how Ben was the one that ended the conflict because it completely absolved the distrust that occurred between the two brothers during last season. So Nico, I mean, what did you think of the Mason family uniting to save, you know, their brother? In the case of Tom, is thought
3: I liked it,
2: but also in a sense, I thought it was a little bit too Mason centric. Okay, and I think I think that was my issue with this entire episode, as we'll discuss in a couple points later. But. I do think that it might have been a little bit Mason-centric, and somebody else might have been a good to see them come in, but the way they did resolve it, it needed to be the Mason clan. So yeah. in that sense, it was it was perfect for this situation. I almost think, though, that the... Issues between Ben and Hal had been fully resolved during the break between okay. seasons. So this just probably showed more of that than actually was the thing that really yeah. showed that there was no distrust between them anymore. I think that was kind of resolved off screen in the break.
1: do you think it would have been better off if Maggie or the brothers just decided to send maggie in there by herself to resolve it because really the conflict was between her and Hale. i mean that's how it's been since the season started so i don't know if that would have made more sense just to go with her to do it
2: i think if they were gonna go with it being an emotional response that ultimately overcame the mind control or the bugs control over him then they probably did need the entire crew there okay So I don't think it would have been better just to have Maggie go in, Okay, but I was almost thinking it could have been done a different way where they, like, stunned him, like a stun grenade or something. And so somebody else, they stormed it, took him into custody, and then, like, force cured him like they did, but it was more of, like, a different reason for doing it, you know, rather than being, like... The family saving him. I, I don't know. It just would have been interesting to see it go a different it's way. It's
1: almost like Hal needs a buddy, you know? Like a what? buddy that fought with him or something.
2: Well, I think Maggie is sort of that buddy, but now she's also a love interest, right. you know?
1: So I think so... you need someone separate from that. Maybe this was a sign of that. I don't know.
2: I'm not sure that the buddy system is necessarily what we need for him. I think the Ben story is really where that buddy system is going to go. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I was really glad to see the character Tector, he's the sniper, Mm -hmm. play a big role in this conflict. Because it really was strange to see him take such a backseat this season. After all the focus that was put on him at the end of last season, with his history as being a disgraced soldier, kind of the conflict he went through with Manchester on whose side to take.
2: Yeah. You know, I I was surprised by the lack of Hector in this season as well he's just kind of been there occasionally in the background and not really any focus in the story on him and that's why I would have liked to seen him be maybe the one that ultimately yeah. made the assault on Hal and took him down without killing him.
1: Right, and that's what and that's what I'm saying. I don't know if we need, like, a best friend for Hal, but I think we need a fellow soldier that he has a connection with. And maybe Tector could have been that more so. I could see Anthony really being in that role because he's been there since the beginning. Well, Anthony
2: got the Tector treatment last season, and yeah. then this season as well. You know, he just kind of disappeared in season two and then just occasionally shows up now in season three, much like Tector in this season kind of disappeared and just r- randomly shows up. So I do yeah. think they're they're t- kind of dropping the ball. And once again, what I'm saying about it being too Mason-centric.
1: Yeah. Well, and Anthony, I thought, was going to have a big part this season with getting out the mole. Yeah. How that started out. So I don't, yeah.
2: They've just kind of forgotten about that sort of story arc and left it in the background.
1: Yeah, well, for an outside character, I mean, that's they are doing a good job with. coming I mean, that has to be Pope, and really, he kind of felt like to me. Kind, we'll get into that when we get to that section. Kind of Fiennes character, as I really thought he took a step forward with his, I guess, issues with the Mason family, with him coming back to save Tom's life at the end of last week's episode. Right. But then he kind of like took two steps back here because he began taking bets on the fate of Hail Mason's life. And I think, even though the two steps back was kind of weird to me, I really did like Weaver kind of coming in, kind of being that war hero character who I love and admire, by just kind of coming into the bar, kind of sitting down and having a drink. And I really liked how just his appearance kind of crossed everyone, okay, we need to back off, this isn't good. But then again, there was that little mentioning of wanting to mount Pope's head on a wall, which was kind of entertaining to me. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I actually felt like this was an excellent episode for Pope because he was sort of acting as the character that is feeling a lot of the frustration of the audience with some of the choices the show has taken for instance pope was spouting off about the fact that the masons do all this crazy stuff and never have to suffer the consequences in the end of the episode we see this with pope claiming that the next time he does something bad he's going to use the old bug in the brain excuse and see if he gets off scot-free like hal did Of course, we don't want to see Hal or Ben or Tom spend time in jail or be executed, but they need to do a better job of writing these situations so they don't need to just let them off the hook. They need to do something where it progresses the story and doesn't just like, oh we're done with that I think the Pope character is acting like the audience's surrogate in this situation and I really like that because it is bringing up some of those issues that we've been discussing over the last few weeks
1: so Pope is the writers
2: Uh, essentially Pope is the writers in at least in this episode the writers sort of saying to the audience hey we know we're making some bold choices here and there's some things that aren't working we know that and we're going to come around to them and fix them later in the show Show, so just know that we're aware of these things,
1: yeah. And that's a really good observation, there, Nico. Sometimes I get so into the characters, I get so stuck into the world, I forget of thinking of, you know, outside the fourth wall, yeah, what those writers are thinking and what their capabilities are to cover those things. So that's that's a really great way to look at that, and it makes it a little bit more acceptable to me. So it's not like Pope's kind of went off his character's direction. He's just kind of commenting on what's going on. Yeah. And that's something that Joss Whedon did a lot with Spike on Buffy. Yes. Where he would comment on how things were off and wrong and I think you need those characters. And I guess that's a great use of Pope right there. But I do think with the Masons going off on their own and this whole situation with Alexis and and I think we might see some of those consequences come out. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, and even though they were able to stop evil Hal from killing his father, the Mason had to face another dilemma of using the rebel Skinner's parasite to flush out the one Karen put inside of him. Doing this had the risk of hell losing his life. On that note, I thought the conversation Tom had with Peralta about loving someone, giving others the chance to hurt you, that there are some fates worth the death, perfectly explained why Tom went with the risk of performing the procedures. But this still didn't keep the process of watching the surgery from keeping me on the edge of my seat, especially when the scene beforehand was performed in a way where we really weren't sure if Karen's parasite was in Side of Hell. In other words, there were a couple of moments where I thought they were going to kill Hell, based on, you know, what we were seeing before with Pope saying that there were no consequences occurring to the Masons and some of the issues where Ben was kind of taking the forefront as, you know, the, the soldier hero in the story. It was kind of doing a lot of the things that Hell was doing in earlier seasons. So it felt like that there wasn't room for the both of them at some points this episode as well. So that kind of scared me that they were really going to go that route. But I think if they did, it would really upset fans because Cal has a pretty big following. It probably would have been too dark for the show.
2: See, Dan, I was almost positive, though not entirely sure, that the parasite was still in there. They did an all right job of trying to get us to believe that maybe it had just abandoned him. But I wasn't buying that, and I think we weren't supposed to really buy it. I never thought they were going to kill Hal but I was a little concerned that it would do permanent damage to him that would change his character yet again, and I'm not really up for that at this point. I don't want to see another change. I want him to return to the how he was in Season 1 and Season 2 before he was infected. So I'm hoping the fact that this sort of terrible story arc is finally over, the writers won't continue along these lines and or any further with other characters. I think we've seen this infestation story enough. They've done it twice now. Let's not do it again. I think we even complained about that at the end of last season when we saw Hal get infected. The whole who is the real mole is a more interesting story, I think. And let's not get stuck making the Masons always the major focus of the show, which I've been complaining about all episode because this one really illuminated that as a problem. This At least for me this season. So let some of the other characters get in on the action. And I think next week, we're going to actually get to see some of that because the Masons have gone off on their own. Yeah, we're going to follow them and in their story. But when we go back to Charleston, it's going to be completely devoid of them. So I think that's going to be good. And we're going to see a lot more Poe Weaver. We're going to see Peralta and see what she can do. You know, we'll could see if she Maybe will bring
1: Tector, could Anthony more to the forefront.
2: Right. I'm hoping that Anthony becomes the focus of next week's charleston and we get that mole sort of investigation coming to the forefront because we're getting late in the season we only got a couple more episodes to go and it's about time that they start hitting on that otherwise it's going to feel really really rushed at the end when they finally do reveal who it is
1: and i would try to make the masons the b plot in the next two episodes maybe
0: that'd be amazing
1: if it it fits what they're going to do because again as you said it's close to the end of the season yeah and so hopefully that'll get worked out. You know, I, I think the whole thing with Cal in this episode is I'm a fan of the character. And I was really nervous they're going to do something outside the box. Because some of this alien baby business, because some of this is outside of where I ever thought the show was going to go. Right. So this was at a point where they were kind of kind on of the fence, like, oh man, are we going to jump the shark here? And it got close, kind of a little dangerous, but I don't think it has. And I think they're aware of the situation, because for what we saw with Pope and getting okay. the bases out of town. Right. God really I've got to end this discussion by saying, Thank God the plot line with Evil Hell is over. Right. Like, again, we don't like these character changes. Cause I didn't like it when it happened in the finale. So I'm just glad it's done. But I have to give the writers credit for resolving it pretty well. Yeah. It wasn't over the top ridiculous. God, it wasn't it didn't feel like they took a giant eraser to the story, which is I guess a good thing. And really, to me, something feels right about the Mason boys getting out of town. And and Nico, you made a very good point about that it'll bring other characters to the forefront. Yes, that's a very great thing, and that's good. But I also feel like it's going to bring back the sense of adventure and survival from the first two seasons. Or like that kind of idea of a journey. Because there are a lot of fans out there that are missing that this season. that, That season one or two feel of survival and really having no place to go within this alien world. So, fans want that back, and so I think that's going to give them a little taste of that, again, but also give us something new to keep it going. But, again, I don't want this to last too long, because with everything going on in Charleston, with the Valm and the Mysterious Super Weapon, which is a problem I think needs to heavily involve Tom, but I just don't think the red machine can go too long to make sure he's there to cover all that. Yeah, But again, with that being said, I think progression of this story could involve maybe Peralta being the mole. Again, it's too easy. But Tom leaving Charleston and resigning as president is probably something the fishhems would want. But again, if she's the mole or whoever the mole is, they're going to be facing their worst nightmare. Guys, a situation like this would be enough to inspire a team-up between Weaver and Pope. We're both kind of crazy in their own ways, so I think there's a lot of things exciting to look forward to with this show, and that Weaver Pope team up could be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, you know, I've been pushing or suggesting that Peralta is the mole pretty hard early on, and then now, as it seems that that's the front runner, I'm sort of in the same boat you are—that that that might be too easy. They're giving us too much of a hint that it's her. That it's got to be somebody else. It's—it's just got to be right. So. I'm a little concerned that they're leading us down that path too easily. And actually, at the end of this episode, when she was taking the oath of office, I thought it was going to zoom into the eye and we were going to see it swimming around her pupil or around the iris. And I I was like, oh, see, I told you. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, maybe not. So yeah, I do That's think it's good. it's too obvious. So I do think it's it's gonna have to be somebody else now, right? Or am I think are we getting almost too mind-bendy. Are they trying to hint that it is her because it is her? So, are we just like...
1: Well, the problem is with some of these sci-fi shows, especially right now, with the ones we're watching, some of these things have been pretty obvious. You know, like, Continuum this week, that episode was very obvious about what was going on. Warehouse was earlier this season. It's gotten better. But I'm just really nervous they're just going to do Peralta. Because that's it, and there's no surprise. But we'll see. I mean, I want it to be somebody else just for the surprise factor.
2: I think we got spoiled with Fringe, and and yes, the way that they would lead us down a, one path and then completely blindside us with something else and now we think that that's going to happen in every show and a lot of times no they're leading us down a path because they're gonna they don't want it to be completely jarring so they are yeah. leaving hints and things so maybe all this foreshadowing is actual foreshadowing and not a red herring
1: yes I guess we're just getting too smart for the TV now. <laughs>
2: okay. uh, I don't know <laughs>
1: so <laughs> fun we still enjoy watching it though yeah it is so we're gonna wrap this discussion up on to next week's episode which will hopefully be more exciting And um, if you guys were looking for michael unfortunately he had a he has a job and he's working and he's not going to be able to join us for falling skies at least for the next couple episodes but he said he will be back to talk about the finale so that's something you guys can look forward to all right so now that we've covered the excitement and intensity of falling skies let's move on to talking about another sci-fi show about the fight for the future good time second opinion
2: the day of Sam's birthday causes kira emotional stress and trouble when inspector dylan is relieved of duty and a new regime threatens kira's cover identity meanwhile alec accepts kellogg's partnership offer and meets jason
1: and after everything kira has been through with being warped back to 2013. Losing her family and watching her partner warped back to 1975 by a bald age, we had an inkling she was going to crack emotionally, but this episode addressed the conflict brilliantly through Kira's longing to be reunited with her son, initiating a snowball effect of events like Inspector Dillon being relieved of duty that really got us inside of Kira's head and delivered a great performance from Rachel Nichols. Nico, did you feel the snowball effect of the conflicts that really weighed upon the emotional stress Kira was experiencing with it being her son's birthday made for a great character study episode?
2: Actually, Dan, I was sort of bored by this emotional breakdown and felt it seemed very much out of character for someone who has always had it so together to lose it so suddenly. Yeah, it built a little bit, but it kind of felt rushed to me. In that it all of a sudden came out. If she had started showing some cracking earlier and then from some of those things that happened to her, I might have believed it a little bit more. But it did make for some great developments in the series and some lighthearted moments from the virtual psychiatrist, but was not really my cup of tea for an interesting episode.
1: Well, I really like kind of looking at the characters, what's going on with them. So... That's why I got into this episode. I think that yes you're right Nico. they should have probably showed signs of it going through. I felt in the first season that with all that there was to explain Kira was kind of flat when it came to showing all of her emotions. We knew that there was an issue that she missed her son but that kind of got her to do some crazy things which occurred in this episode but I just didn't think she was displaying enough emotionally. Okay. And I think they're trying to develop that I get that out of her. Again, this might be a rushed way to do it but I think the long term, we're going to see her be much more emotional. I thought last week was a good step, cause her, you know, displayed some more emotion, and this was just a step farther. Good. so, I guess when you said great developments, I think that was there was a great development in this episode with her now realizing, okay, I'm here in the past. I need to connect with these people around me we Can develop relationships. And I yeah. think from there, that's going to develop a lot more character development out kind of Carlos and maybe Betty. What Betty is a sp- by need the mole so I don't know how much that's going to happen right but I think we'll get a little bit more about Carlos we may get to see his family his life now because Kara wants into it and wants to learn about it okay, maybe if Dylan comes back maybe we'll get some Dylan and maybe we'll get some kind of the new person that's taken over right so that's what I was excited about that's what I wanted to see was you know the more character interaction because so i guess it got me more excited for it They'd really this episode being all that interesting
2: yeah and like i said and you just summed up it, it is going to move forward in that direction and it's going to allow for those character interactions in the future so in that sense it definitely was good i just didn't care for the sort of mental breakdown yeah. sort of thing although it did give us that virtual psychiatrist and some light-hearted moments in that interaction so In that sense, it was okay. So, I don't know. I I just... It wasn't my favorite episode of the series.
1: No, I mean, just thinking... If you got worked back in time, and you know you knew you could never see your family again, and you lost them and and are in this whole strange new world. I mean, would that get to you eventually?
2: Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. But I think you to have this breakdown, you need to see stepping stones yes. in the in the deconstruction of her psyche. Yeah. It can't just be all of a sudden. Now, that's not to say that it, it couldn't happen and just be a psychotic break, which is essentially I guess what they're saying she had. Yeah. But I just think it makes for a better character study and the ability to have that character study episode like you said you loved about this if you set it up in the weeks coming yeah you know and so that's why i thought it was not as good as it could have been
1: i i felt i feel like this show has so much groundwork to cover get so many questions get so much to establish which they've done a great job of doing that some of the stuff with developing kira was kind of left on the cutting room floor until now and so because of that, I feel like that's why this was rushed. Because that's why they didn't take the time to have this break happen slower. Because there were bigger fish to fry of establishing this world and explaining all the time travel stuff, which can get really complicated. It can make you go cross-eyed on occasion. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and in my opinion, with all the turmoil and paranoia that was going on at the precinct, I mean, I thought that that was enough to weigh on her. Again, I think episode progression would have been a huge thing, but I did like how this episode kind of took it a step forward or made it even more complicated, get a, like a mind-blowing fridge or cutting-edge sci-fi-like fashion. As Kira flipping out got Agent Gardner, who this. Side of would probably tick off anybody who knew him as Krychek on the X Files, activated her onboard psychiatrist, who threatened to erase Kira's memories funding on a psych evaluation. Could it make matters worse? The AI psychiatrist did not realize it was sent back to 2013, making Kira come across as crazy to the psychiatrist when she began talking about tribe travel and everything that's happened to her throughout the course of the show. So Nico, what do you think about Kira's suit, having an onboard psychiatrist? Is this an example of one of those mind-blowing concepts that we love, which puts Continuum in the place of being that next great sci-fi show to follow up Fridge and its precursors?
2: Dan, as I said, I like some of the light-hearted moments of the onboard psychiatrist. And I guess the threat of erasing her memories gave some emotional weight to the interactions and the necessity of her to resolve her issues. But the mental instability that brought upon this onboard shrinks activation as I said before, was too rapid, whereas it could have been done more realistic through little scenes across multiple episodes that might have shown some mental issues or emotional stress due to the time travel and not knowing if she'd ever be able to return home to her own time. The execution here was entirely too rushed and felt forced. I've already mentioned all of that, so we don't need to get back into that. As for the concept of the inclusion of an onboard psychiatrist in the programming of the CHIPS, it was an interesting concept and is definitely worth mentioning. But did I feel it was mind-blowing as you described it? Mm, probably not. Don't get me wrong, it was an innovative addition to the story and, and sci-fi genre, but it's not the only instance of this idea in science fi- in the science fiction genre. So I, I don't know if it was – so definitely it was interesting but I don't know if it was Fringe-level mind-blowing in my opinion. I think Fringe yeah. did some stuff that we had never seen before, whereas this, I've read a, a couple stories or seen something on, you know, TV before, where they have this interaction. I'm thinking, like, this is very much like a Sam and, uh, oh, what was the, um oh, blanking on Quantum Leap. It was Sam and, what was his onboard guy?
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, well, anyway, you yeah, know what I'm, I'm talking about. about. <laughs> I
2: felt like it was that sort of Thing, or or
1: Baltar know? in the, the six. Yes. The Battlestar Galactica.
2: Yeah. And while this one was a, it was much like the Quantum Leap where it was a Ziggy. Yes. Thank you. I could have. There I, you go. Couldn't let it go. Okay. It was much like Ziggy in the sense that it was technology and she was the only one who could see him. It acted as her guide through this episode. And in that sense, I liked it, but it wasn't anything that was brand new something we hadn't okay. seen before so i i don't know like it definitely was awesome but i just don't know if it was that mind-blowing yeah. fringe level stuff that we loved
1: well i, th- I thought it was uh that they try to put a little something extra into it or a little more imagination into the episode because they really could have just done the cop drama and been done with it
2: yeah what i think is mind-blowing about this series is more the entire premise the original premise
1: The time travel stuff.
2: The time travel cop back to this time. Well, we've seen that in other times, it's always going from our time back into the past or going into the future and having to, you know, or coming from the future, but they're only fighting, you know, not really integrating into our time. So in that sense, this story is, or this series is mind-blowing in itself. So I don't know if this individual episode and this feature let raise the level of the show Got rather this. just the whole show itself is something new and mind bending
1: yeah i mean i can i can go with that and i didn't want to say this was this episode was landmark changing television mm-hmm. i just thought it was a you know a creative idea yep um i okay. just feel like these writers kind of have the potential to get there okay and, you know, with the psychiatrist, I did think it was great casting to have Alessandro Giuliani from Smallville get Battlestar Galactica play the AI psychiatrist. Because he's very good at playing a character who kind of sits on that fence of being a protagonist, get an antagonist. But, you know, ultimately in the end, he ended on the protagonist's side. Because he helped Kira move past the longing for her son to start forming connections with the people around her in 2013. God, if you think about it, this episode, even though it felt rushed, it did have Kira display the widest array of emotions we've really seen from her throughout the entire series. Guys, she's normally very reserved, cause Nico said, driven. Okay, and at some points during the first season I felt it was almost robotic at times which was fine for the first season because I said before the writers needed to lay down the groundwork for the story however in season 2 and beyond the focus of any TV show needs to go into developing the characters making Kira more open to forming relationships in 2013 It's a great way to make sure those developments cap happen on a continuum and that the writers are doing them so Nico do you agree with me that we will see a much more I guess emotionally open Kira from here on out and I guess once the Godborn said psychiatrist an effective way to make this happen even though it was kind of fast
2: yeah dan this was the one thing that i absolutely felt like this episode got correct this experience as much as i was not a fan was crucial in getting kira to start making meaningful connections with carlos alec and others in our current time and not be so emotionally cut off from those she spends so much time with here in the present in that sense i thought this episode was a huge success that will allow for some great character development and i think we will see her partnership with carlos evolve and become a better working relationship. I think she will mend fences with Alex even more and help him to get over all the grief he's had to go through with his mom. This was a good thing for Kira that may even open her up to trusting more people and barring that, at least emotionally connecting with some of them in the present time. So I do think it was a good move in that sense. And I do think that that's the best thing to come out of this episode.
1: Now, do you think the goal of season two is Kira getting close enough to Carlos that she feels like she can tell him the truth of how she's from the future? Got her all conflict.
2: I don't know if that's the goal but I do think it's a possibility. Okay. I do think it's something that could happen because of situational stuff, but I don't think it's like the goal of the season to make that happen. I think that it might happen and probably will need to happen to progress the story beyond just this season. I think it's almost a disservice to his character that he hasn't started to catch on and that the Krychek character i don't remember what his name is in this agent garner that's it yeah the garner character is is catching on and carlos is completely in the dark i think that's a disservice to the carlos character so i do think it is a necessity going forward but i don't think it's the ultimate
1: goal well also i think she did save carlos's life several times yeah so i think he's I do think he's suspicious, but he doesn't want to exploit her, at least at this point. Now, I can okay. see, you know, Kira telling Carlos the truth, got him not reacting very well to it at first, and then eventually being able to accept it. Because that would be like a, you know, finale thing for this season. So, okay. I can see that there. I think Carlos knows something's off about her. I don't think his brain is going as far to say she's from the future, because she has a super suit. But I, I do think he knows, you know, she's not entirely being honest. And I think the same thing goes for Inspector Dylan? But she's effective and she's doing their job. And have going to save their lives on several occasions. So I think that's why they've accepted it. Okay. And as for, you know, Kira's connections she's got in the past, I've got a few questions about them for you, Nico. Can you know, let me start first with asking, you know, what is Kellogg up to with making Alec his partner? Is he trying to make a fast buck here? Or is he intending to do something more malicious? As he really kind of seemed jealous over Kira and Alec's partnership. As we saw him kind of watching in the distance as Alec was interacting with Kira in his new setup that was given to him by Kellogg. And on the flip side, I'm kind of curious about Alec accepting Kellogg's offer. Because at first, I thought it was because he was tempted by the money and power the girls. But then after seeing him run off to save Kira at kind a of moment's notice, I'm wondering if he just made the business deal with Kellogg to access the equipment it needed to helping Jason reverse engineer a time machine. Although I think Alec is only helping Jason with his plans to figure out how he's connected to his father and what may be his disappearance. So, I mean, Nico, what's kind of your thoughts on some of that stuff?
2: Yeah. Yeah, as for Kellogg making the offer to Alec, he's trying to make money for sure. He's going to try. And I also think he's trying to shape the future in a better way. And by being partnered with Alec and allowing Alec to do all the innovative things he did, but maybe Kellogg being there to also direct how it's released or things like that, he can change the future. Remember he was a part of the liberate movement. So he has a lot of those Theories and those ideas in his head, and he believes in those things enough so that he was essentially a terrorist in the future. So I do believe he is trying to change the future, but going about it from one of his strengths by manipulating, or not necessarily manipulating, but shaping how the ultimately Sadler Tech works. And by setting it up and becoming the money behind Sadler Tech, he can sort of shape the future in that way. So I think that's the reason he got into the partnership. I don't think he's worried about Kira and Alec's partnership I think he just is worried that Kira might screw everything up for him and that's why he kind of is keeping an eye on it that's the only thing I think I don't think he's jealous of it now why did Alec accept Kellogg's offer it was definitely to have all the tech you know and have access to the money he needed to do to do the things that he wants to and yes there's money power girls all of that's going to come from that but his Ultimate motivation is to continue the work that his father left him and start doing the work that ultimately leads to the suit, the chips, you know, that sort of stuff. And so I do think, and keeping his network up and running, and also keeping Kira safe and her mission going. I think that is why he accepted Kellogg's offer, so he has access to all the things. And I do think that he's helping Jason with his plans to figure out exactly how he is connected to his father, if he is his father, if he's just someone who knew his father. Maybe he's the reason his father disappeared. Who knows? And so I do think that that's why he's brought Jason into his circle, is to sort of get some of that information. And I think ultimately he's going to try and test and see if Jason is his father.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the other thing is, do you think Gallic like, wants the time machine to work?
2: I I think so, but he's also torn. He doesn't want to send her back because he 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 you know he has feelings for her. He's, they're friends. They They care about each other. So he sort of feels like if he sends her back and they haven't cleaned up everything that happened now, that the world will be lost and Liberate will destroy it. And so he does feel like he's kind of at a... At a loss.
1: Go well, She might want to take Kellogg back. Well, I think That's
2: ultimately issue. that won't matter because. Okay they've already got the money and everything all tied up into the company. Okay. Or he would he would have the money he needed in the company. So I think that doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, finally with this episode's heavy focus on Kira, I guess, doing a, showing a decent character study because it could have been done better. I'm hoping that maybe we'll get episodes that will put maybe Carlos, Alec, Kellogg, maybe even antagonists like Agent Gardner and Travis in the center of the story. Better yet, maybe even the writers could try doing something like those fish. Famous Doctor Who episodes, where a one-off character looks in on the story from the outside. Nico, do you think this is a possibility for a continuum? Because something you might like to see in the future.
2: Dan, I like the idea of possibly having a one-off character that joins in for an episode and gives us an outsider's opinion or viewpoint on the characters. But I don't know if this is the season to do that. I agree. I think. I think that might be later season three or four sort of arc. Likewise, not sure there is time or likelihood that we will get a Carlos Kellogg or Garner centric episode just because while they are important to the story, I think Kira and Alec are much more centric to the story. And to have an episode that is not focused on them would be a mistake in my opinion. Now, you may have noticed that I did not include Travis or Liberate in that list of characters because I do think it would work to have an entire episode told from the perspective of the Liberate movement, both Travis and What's-Her-Face. Sonia. Sonia, thank you. There
1: you
2: go. So I hope that that answered your question about that. I do think the Liberate perspective would be really cool. And we only get interactions with Kira and Alec from when they have interactions with the Liberate in the episode. So I think that would be- really cool way to do an episode.
1: Well, I think it would get us a good idea of their mindset and like what their theories are and stuff. Yeah. Because some of that is a still of a mystery and, and we don't really get what they're doing because these are, I think, supposed to be sympathetic villains. Yes, very much so. So for us to get that understanding, that would be a great way
0: to do it.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that it would be a very good episode and it would be a lot of fun to ch- kind of get inside the mind of ultimately the the big bad of the series.
1: I think Travis would be more fascinating yeah I, th- I think you're yeah. right okay but maybe to get us to know sonia better so we can remember her name <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway let's move on now to the airways rundown section
3: you're watching cbs i find home from Mondays fx and
2: usa characters welcome mt we know trauma Yeah, now we will take over with his review of, unfortunately, the series finale of what I thought was a great new comedy, The Goodwin Games, with this week's episode, The Box.
3: This week's episode is the final episode of The Good One Games, entitled The Box. It's episode 7, also directed by How I Met Your Mother Performer Neil Patrick Harris. Overall, I thought the episode was an alright episode. I say alright because... You guys have known I praised this show week after week for the past six weeks. The reason I say it just all right, it didn't feel like a finale episode. It really felt like a cliffhanger. Not really the writer's fault, but it is what it is. It really felt more like a cliffhanger episode than a actual series finale. I I thought everybody did a fantastic job. I loved the interactions between Lucinda and And Henry, I loved how Henry really his version of grieving, which we really hadn't seen Henry grieve that much this season, and that that was the point of this episode for him. Loved him talking to his alarm clock, loved his morning ritual, and really equating working working to the bone as his version of grieving. I loved his. Slowly but surely, freaking out and starting to lose his mind. Love that He told his fiance over his smartphone about a kid, about a kidney surgery, and t- telling an Asian family and his patient about the ki- about his wedding plans. I love Scott Foley's line reading of, "I've had pigeon." That is one of the funniest things I've ever seen on TV in the last five years. I, I really liked this idea of Henry's grieving and him avoiding grief because he thinks if he can avoid grief he doesn't have to grieve, which is what a lot of people think one of the things that I'm going to really regret about this series is that we're not going to see what happens between Henry and Lucinda hopefully maybe, in, maybe they can do like a Hulu exclusive thing way or, or a Netflix exclusive thing where we get to see a a full 24-episode run of this series, just to see what happens between them. Also got the same feeling with Ivan. Loved, Loved Becky Newton again in this episode. Loved her interactions with Ivan. Really loved how Chloe and... This is what also just really stinks about this episode, guys, and i uh, sorry to be a downer because this is the last episode. Becky name really plays the conspiracy theor- theory person really well. I loved how she's looking for clues to see if uh, Ivan is actually just another spy the way she thinks April is when April puts the pylons in the parking space just to make sure that Chloe makes it to university. And I love Chloe's problem here other than the paranoia of if something stops her in her way, she just closes up shop and moves to another thing. I've met a lot of women and I've met a lot of people like that. That When they hit a roadblock, the first thing they do is just close up shop and and move on. I loved how her figuring out the her figuring out the riddle was ruse was just a cue to say, you know what, the the only the only reason the real reason your dad did all this is to try, try to change your attitude about the way you view life. I loved um, Chloe's speech at the end. I loved how, how they mended fences between her and Ivan. I loved Ivan's little thing of. You know, you turned me down for date 19 times. I'm not going to make it a 20. I'm going to break up with you. Because in a way, that gives Ivan a little bit of dignity, even though she he, he took Chloe back at the end of the episode. I really liked how they closed up that storyline. The April and Jimmy storyline is another one I'm going to miss. Just because April didn't really have much of a character before. They did this relationship with Jimmy. I loved Jimmy quoting the Buddha again. I really love that even though Jimmy is not the smartest guy in the world, like I've said in previous podcasts, but the one thing he really is good at is knowing what his heart is telling him. And that scene with April and Jimmy in the bedroom really encapsulates what makes them a great couple. Overall, I thought this episode was really good. Um... Great, great, great performance by Professor Goodwin. I love that the whole riddle thing was just a big old ruse, just to get the get the kids to learn that that don't plan out life too much. Sometimes it's all right to go with the flow. And I have to believe that since this is the final episode, and just to confirm, I follow Craig Thomas, one of the creators, on Twitter who created How I Met Your Mother and the Goodwin Games, he did confirm, yes, this is the final episode. I have to really believe that there was no money at all. Unless I'm proven differently, there was no money at all. And the and the real treasure and the real money was reconnecting with one's loved ones and reconnecting with family. I loved the last shot of Scott Foley Henry going through the box of his dental of his dad's stuff. I loved the picture of the family at the end. Again, I wish they would have gotten a better season finale. I wish this had gotten at least 13 episodes, if not 24. And who knows, with all like these campaigns to bring back old shows, I just heard Veronica Mars just got a a panel at Comic-Con. They will do a movie. Who knows, maybe we will, we will get to see the Goodwin Games finish out on Hulu or finish out on Netflix, like so many other series have been. Overall, for what this series was, I give it a 5 out of 5. Really solid, really solid 7 episodes. I'm sad to see it go, but you know, hopefully Car- Carter Bays and Craig Thomas, after they finish... Doing How I Met Your Mother, which sidebar I'm very happy that How I Met Your Mother is getting a two-part season opener for the ninth and final season. Hopefully, they'll create something more like Joss Whedon. I really respect Carter Bayes and Craig Thomas's writing ability. They write a lot of great characters with a lot of heart to them, but still making it funny and but still making the audience compelled to see every episode week in and week out. Again, love this episode talk to you
2: later guys bye thanks woo now let's move on to defiance with this week's penultimate episode past is prologue
1: On the eve of the mayoral election, Nolan and Amanda both come under fire, with the lawkeeper is involved, get an accident, for more of a setup.
2: This week's episode, past its prologue, was pretty typical yep. for penultimate episodes in that it escalated various conflicts without really resolving anything. But despite some quirks here and there, it succeeded in its task of building tension and setting the stage for next week's big showdown. The mayoral election took center stage this week as Daytek Tar went into full offensive mode against acting mayor Rosewater. Despite having orchestrated events so that he emerged as the savior of defiance in If I Ever Leave This World Alive, Daytek was still very much an unlikely underdog as this episode opened. And if we've learned anything about the character over the past few months... It's that he has no shortage of dirty schemes and willing minions to put him on top. Predictably, his assassination attempt on Amanda turned out to be something less overtly sinister, but still very damaging to her credibility. And like any good politician, he played on the town's collective fears. The fear of outside invaders, the fear of nuclear meltdown, the fear of what happens without big government there to keep the demons away in that sense this episode hammered home the notion that life hasn't changed so much from the pre-pale wars america especially with some of the stuff that just recently came out in the news yes Daytac made a great villain throughout the episode though i'm glad the character work of previous episodes allowed viewers to maintain a sort of a shred of sympathy for this increasingly reprehensible character it's a small shred but still a shred of <laughs> yeah. concern the debate scene was so well done with the claustrophobic setting the constant rain and the general sense of unease all combined to great effect e- easily making one of the
1: highlights of the episode this is the best use of the setting that yeah. they've had of the show yet
2: unfortunately i was a little disappointed at how stama is in many ways the real b- brains behind datax regime yet in this episode that was more or less thrown out the window. Stama is now little more than a fretful wife, desperate to mitigate as much damage from his rise to power as possible. I did like how this week's conflict put a huge, possibly fatal strain on Stama's relationship with Kenya, because I was sort of getting sick of that. Yeah. But overall, it was disappointing to see a formally strong character dis- depicted in such a weak light. I thought this was a big mistake on Defiance's part. But maybe maybe it'll all change. Maybe everything will work out and she will still be that strong force behind her husband.
1: Yeah, that might be a, a surprise twist for yeah. the finale or something.
2: Alak is a bit harder to pin down. Obviously, he's facing his greatest test so far in terms of his divided loyalties to his human wife and his Castian family. And that's all fine and well. But he's been such a likable character for most of the season. It's a little tough to see him so readily sell his soul to win daddy's approval back. Yeah. It was to the point where I was glad to see Raph's thugs deliver a good old-fashioned back-alley beatdown on the kid. Because he deserved it. Definitely. Yeah. Hopefully he can man up and find a bit of redemption next week. I do hope we can see him stand up against his father or at least stand up for what he knows is right and be his own man. That would be a great move for this character going into next season. Yeah. On that note, Raph further cemented his reputation as the resident badass of Defiance, yeah. and I'm sure much to your delight, Dan. Yeah. Despite all the setbacks the core cast suffered this week, at least Raff and Nolan were able to exact some physical vengeance on the Tar family. Yes. I'm looking forward to what role Raph will play in the finale, as he seems to be the only man left with the resources and knowledge to put a dent in Datex plans, so that could be very interesting. Yeah. Running parallel to these struggles was this more subtle conflict as Daki yule experimented with her newly won artifact we never knew quite what she was trying to accomplish with her experiments or how much reluctance she was feeling about abusing the artifact yule has become very much the x factor in the push towards the finale that said i do wish the final scenes gave us a better idea of what exactly happened to Arissa following her surgery the entire final sequence fell a little bit flat for me rin's sudden return was a bit out of the blue and quite jarring and once again the choice of music left something to be desired a sweet subdued cover of cindy Lauper's time after time might have been better suited if it was nolan or tommy who tracked down Arista, but not her mortal enemy it was kind of weird and unrelated
1: well and, and for a. Uh- penultimate episode you don't end with that soft calm music yeah agree no not how to do a cliffhanger
2: i guess that's merely a minor annoyance i have with this show and it wouldn't be defiance without an oddball choice of music to ring out the episode absolutely i think next season it will be this (laughs) penultimate episode though ultimately did exactly what it set out to do set up the finale with a lot of excitement and put enough unanswered questions out there to ensure we all tune in next week to find out exactly which ones are answered and what major cliffhangers are raised in the finale to get us to come back next year. I guess we'll see. So Dan, what were your thoughts on this episode?
1: I like to see Daytac as a villain. I think that's great stuff. So I was glad to see him come out and, you know, really cause some trouble in this. The problem with this show is they go back and forth on stuff. You know, it, it's never, I, I, don't, I don't want to use the word like maybe wishy-washy. In the sense that like Stama for example. You know, we go for several weeks where she because the brains behind the operation. You know, she's the most dangerous one. And then this episode didn't do that. The same with Alec. I thought we crossed all this bridge with him standing against his father could beat his own man by going ahead with the wedding, conciding with Rafe. Exactly. That didn't make any sense. Quietly change. And you're right. Rafe needed to go there kick his butt saying, dude, you went back on what you said. We had a deal. What the heck, man? You know, but still with that development, it was poor writing to go back on a bridge you already crossed. So that, that just was frustrating. They need to stay consistent. If they're going to make Stamma the Brains, make her the Brains all the way through don't, you know, have it switch. It just, that was an issue. And if if It could get fixed next week if she's just letting Daytac, you know, run wild so she could come at the very end and just surprise us all with something that comes out of nowhere. But I don't know if that's going to happen. So that's an issue there. And as for the Doc Yule stuff, I'm hoping next week we'll explain that a little bit more. We know she's after, I guess, these pieces and ones like inside of Arissa. But why? Why is What are they trying to open? What's down there? Why are we after these parts? That yeah. needs to be explained very quickly. And as for Rin, I'm going to theorize that her return is the Earth government let her out. I think everyone that's been arrested has not been arrested. Yeah, they're just free to turn right back around to cause trouble and, and uh, defiance. So th- that's interesting as well. Yeah. And I think the earth god eventually is going to become your big bad.
2: Oh, absolutely. I I totally agree with that.
1: And I think what's going to happen is Daytac is going to function a lot like J.R. Ewing on Dallas, the old Dallas, where he's an adversary, but when crap hits the fan, he sides with all the protagonist characters and goes against the other people. So the EarthGov, I think what may happen is they're going to screw Daytac over, but I don't think Stamma is going to get screwed over in the process. I think Stama's going to weasel her way out of it, and that's going to be the twist, but I don't know.
2: Or she may be the one that realizes something is fishy and... Turns Daytac against the EarthGov or Earth Republic, so that yeah. he ultimately goes back on his dealings with them, so that they don't end up making the deal with them.
1: Yes, and the other thing that's frustrating me is this music stuff. And oh. it's just, uh, and this episode was actually written by the producers on this show and the producers, good producers on Smallville, Todd Slavin and Darren Swimmer, who Smallville did a very nice job at the end of their episodes with music choices. Yeah, very so much so. What is going on here? Why are they doing? I don't get it. It just, it makes no sense. They, they know better than that. So that's just really, just frustrating. I'm hoping, you know, Sci-Fi Channel steps in and says, this is ridiculous. Because a crucial part of an episode, the most crucial part is the ending. because it needs to be set up in a way that you're excited to come back next week. That. not, what the heck was that? Yeah. And I thought Defiance, the ending of this episode, was what the heck was that? Yeah, all I don't it know if... The it, music. They could have just tweaked it and it would have been better.
2: Yeah, I don't know if the network's going to step in. I think it'll probably just be a decision at the producer level for Somebody next... Somebody better do season. something. Yeah. Now, you I mean, obviously they're, they're not going to hear all of... Everybody, because I, I mean, everybody is, is mentioning that they're not going to hear yeah. that and like change, go back and re-edit the finale. Know, no. The finale's is already in the can. It's been in the can for months. So if this is an issue, it probably is going to be an issue next week as well, but it won't be an issue next season.
1: Right. And, and I'm pretty sure this show's going to get a next season, don't you?
2: Oh, I'm I'm almost positive it will.
1: But I think this is weaker than how shows like Alpha's and Warehouse started off.
2: Oh, I agree. I don't think it has had as good of a, a premiere or a run as those shows had in their first season. But I also think the TV landscape has changed even in the four years since Warehouse started. Okay. Because I, there just is saying... so much good programming on cable now that there wasn't four years ago
1: right and that's the thing I, alpha's got that great first season got second season it faltered
2: i'm hoping that defiance can do the exact opposite right have a lesser first season bring in some big writers they got some big names for to join the cat uh writing staff for next season yeah i'm hoping some of those guys especially our friend Brian Q. Miller can yep. turn this show around, or not turn this show around, but elevate it above what it's been and make it even better.
1: Well, Todd Slammon and Darren Swimmer were not involved until midway through this first season. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, of course, Brian Q. Miller worked for them. So they're bringing in Brian, they're bringing in other people that they know and their connections to get a solid team for this show. And I think they could do it. I mean, what they did with Smallville was outstanding. So if they could handle, and that's a small town situation. If they could do that, I think they could get the fights worked out. So I'm going to to keep watching. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm going to keep watching. And the finale, you know, I'm excited to watch it. It's not something that I'm going to have to force myself to watch. No. But I do know that it needs to be improvements because falling Agreed. sky is kicking good spot.
2: and with that i i think that's probably all we need to talk about yeah. defiance this week now we'll jump into a show that unlike defiance has had a huge success in its first season at least in the first episode and we're going to talk about under the dome with the second episode the fire
1: As the reality of their situation settles in, the town people's tempers start to fray. Meanwhile, Big Jim sends Reverend Coggins to remove the evidence from Duke's house. And Junior Stocks Barbie.
2: In this week's episode, The Fire, we followed the Dome denizens during day two of the crisis, learning a few more things about the Dome itself, but not much more about the townsfolk, which is what I really want to dig into more at this point. The accidental house fire that occurred during the second half of the episode was a good way of highlighting how, going forward, simple dangers are now more amplified due to the isolation and lack of resources, but I'd still like to know a bit more about the people I'm watching. Everything character-wise at this point is mostly surface level, with everyone pretty much just acting out in panic mode and very little room to go into their backstories any further. Lost solved this, and I'll try not to keep bringing up Lost too much, with really well-crafted flashbacks, and although character flashbacks have been done to death on Lost-esque shows since then, I still feel they can be used effectively by new shows, and really feel like some of these characters would benefit from them. The character who stands out the most at this point is Big Jim, who's always fascinating to watch, since he is, in a sense, both the light of Chester's Mill and its mean, twisted soul. He's both secretive and capable, a problem causer and a problem solver. And the best part about him is that when he acts kind or generous, I don't feel as though it's coming from a fake place. He does care for the town and the people in it. Barbie, representing the cool loner factor, was up to no good when we first saw him but has now been forced into survival mode with everyone else. Again, another gray character whose first instinct is still to help those around him. Linda, the deputy, is doing just fine as the town's most noble hero, but I don't think anything in the pilot necessarily clued me into the fact that she considered Duke, who's now dead, to be a father figure. I mean, I don't object to the reveal, but again, it just speaks a bit to how the information about these characters is being doled out, and maybe would have been better served with a flashback to duke acting and treating her as his child brought into the chaos f- for this chapter almost out of nowhere were fellow deputies freddie and paul with paul being the one cracking under pressure and finally accidentally shooting freddie at the end after his random bullet ricocheted off the dome itself speaking of the dome ricochet was it a random bounce was freddie killed truly by accident or does the dome deflect in a sentient manner As in, does it lash back at acts of aggression? Remember that it did cause Duke's pacemaker to explode out of his chest when he was about to spill the secrets about the dome and its origins. Does that mean the dome is sentient? Or is someone controlling it? Am I thinking too much about this and thinking of this, like, fringe too much again? Oh, and that's the other thing the townsfolks learned this week. That they are, in fact, trapped inside a dome. As well as the fact that the soldiers and hazmat guys outside have no clue what they're dealing with. Also, thanks to the McAllister kid, we know that the dome acts as a sieve for whatever reason. Maybe that's how they'll be able to get more oxygen or rainwater down the line because the dome's letting air in and possibly some water. Don't know yet. Still, I look forward to these things spiraling into chaos, albeit slowly if each episode is going to represent a day. There already needs to be a serious conversation about who the town leaders are going to be now that the dome has appeared, with Big Jim probably on the top of everyone's list, and he seems, right now, to be a good fit. Especially since he could possibly be dangerous, but at the same time seems to truly care about the town. I get that he's trying to hide certain things about propane shipments, but how could that adversely affect the citizens? Now people are still acting like the dome could come down at any point and their old lives will resume, which seems silly to us, but could be quite logical if in the moment if we were there. For instance, Barbie's search for his incriminating dog tags—logical in the moment, but ultimately with the crisis at some point, past crimes will cease to seem so important, and long-term survival will become much more important. Despite a dip in the numbers, episode two of Under the Dome held strong and continued the great start from the premiere. I can't wait to continue this series each week and look forward to reviewing it next week. All right, the numbers went down a little bit, like I said, but still, this was a great second episode of Under the Dome. And it is definitely top of my viewing list for the summer. All right. right, With that, I think it's about time we jump into the closing. What do you say, Dan? Yeah,
1: let's do the closing on this little shorter episode we had this week. And Nico, why don't you take it away with what we're going to be doing next week? I think everyone kind of has an idea already.
2: Yeah. On next week's episode, the TV schedule continues with what will be most of our summer schedule as we'll continue our coverage of Falling Skies, Continuum, and the Warehouse 13 with the season finale. We'll also round things out with with another Airwaves Rundown section featuring our brief thoughts on the season finale of Defiance, Under the Dome, and the final season of Burn Notice, and maybe even more. But for even more reviews and information on all our favorite shows, check out the blogs available on our website at acrosstheairwaves.com.
1: Right. And also, we're going to be gearing up that this week, but the week after, for our Comic-Con episode, which will be covering all the panels for all of the fall shows that we normally cover on this podcast. So get ready for that. We're going to be sending all sorts of Comic-Con news your ways. And also, Andy is going to be there, and Nico's going to be there. So we're going to talk with them about their experience. And Andy may actually come back with some interviews, not from celebrities, but fans and various people hanging out with Comic-Con. So if we get all that together, we're going to put it into an episode. Okay, get it to you guys, and that should be some great stuff. Also, um, until we come out with that podcast get our podcast next week, uh, you can check out our spinoff podcast. We've got It's Tangent Time, which is hosted by our other co-hosts here, Michael J. Petty and Wu Kim. And it's basically a podcast dedicated to discussing comics and uh, discussing topics that have to do with comic books, science fiction, film technology, got anything else that comes to their minds at the time of recording. So it's just a mixed bag of topics that they talk about, but uh, they have a good time doing it. Yeah, there's lots of laughs involved too. So if you want a good time, check out It's Tangent Time. Also, we have the Across the Airwaves DC Nation podcast, which basically covers all of the content that DC Comics delivers to its fans, including Brian Kimmler's Smallville Season 11 comic books, the new 52 comics that are coming out, movies, and all of DC's animated content that's coming out, which will soon include Beware of the Batman once that premieres on Cartoon Network. And also, we've got ATA Log Hunters, the Arrow podcast, which basically covers episodes of the hit CW TV series in greater detail. Okay, that podcast is on hiatus right now because Arrow is obviously off over the summer until it premieres in September with season two. But Michael and Wu should be having a Longbow Hunters, occasionally two episodes coming your way this summer. One episode is going to cover the Arrow panel that's going to take place at Comic-Con, and the other one is going to cover the DVD and Blu-ray release of Arrow Season 1. And in addition of also being released on our website, is going to be another podcast that we're calling Airwave Special with Andy. Because this is a podcast that's going to air probably every once in a while. It's not going to be as consistent. We actually had a guest from the website We Talk Comics come on and record a podcast with Andy and I where we discuss our thoughts on Man of Steel. So if you want to hear a really great debate about Superman, his history, kind the Man of Steel podcast, check that out. And we have our special guest. Chris from We Talk, the We Talk Comics podcast. So that's great stuff, and our discussion with Chris was a lot of fun. So check that out when that gets released by Andy sometime this week. Also, if you'd like, you can contact us by visiting our newly updated and improved website at www.acrosstheairways.com. There, you can email us at acrosstheairwaves@gmail.com. You can also click the button on our page to like our Facebook. And through doing that, you will stay updated on our podcast episode releases and also be able to follow all the entertainment news that Nico reports on during our Across the Airwaves episodes. And for that same information, you can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter is across the airwaves there's no the on there it's just across the airwaves or you can join our circle on google plus also if you'd like you can leave us a voicemail okay what number can you call to do that nico
2: 773-809-3363
1: and with that you can give us your thoughts or feedback on any of the shows we cover or our podcast in general so uh if you're interested do that also if you'd like you can check out our youtube channel which features previews and promos for all sorts of across the airwaves events as well as upcoming movies also available on our youtube channel is a playlist uh the DC Nation shorts that is shown during the Saturday morning programming block on Cartoon Network. Also, if you don't want to go back through this podcast to listen to all the ways you can contact us, you can download our Podcast Box app, which will let you contact our podcast and listen to our podcast episodes on your iPad and iPhone. And if you're on an Android or Windows device, you can download our Android app from the Amazon Marketplace to get that same content. So again, that's our podcast episode Got ways you can contact us. So, once again, for our other ATA Podcast hosts, Michael J. Petty, Moo Kim, and Andy Mabach, I'm Dan Schmidt,
2: and I'm Nico Ristik.
1: And okay, until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airways. See you guys. Have a great week. Go see the Lone Ranger if you can. I went and saw it last night, it was just a ton of fun. See ya. <music>